Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Madigan? Keegan? It's Black History Month. It's Black History Month. We did not post something for Black History Month last week. We did Uh -uh. Spice Girls. We did. Because it snuck up on us. It it did. It totally snuck up on us, but... And when we'd planned it, when we planned to do the Spice Girls episode, it was still January. Yeah. So in my head, I was like, it's fine. Well, and then we talked about doing something else this week, and you were like, um, hello, Madigan, Earth to Madigan, it's Black History Month, and I was like, I mean, Earth to me, too. I was, like, (laughs) busy. Like, my brother was in town, I was running around doing things, and I was like, wait, a second. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we we do four episodes for Black History Month every year because February is the shortest month of the year, but we believe that it should be given all of the respect and uh, Attention. spotlight that it can have. So we are still going to do, I would like to still do four episodes sure. revolving around Black History Month. Uh, we are starting off the month with something really horrible. It's horrible. Look, yeah, I, I do want to start off with saying like... This is terrible. It's yeah. super terrible. It's not going to be necessarily a fun listen for you guys today. It will be interesting. Yes. I, I found Don't it... Don't say it's not going to be fun. They're going to stop listening. No, no, no. Because, like, <laughs> something can be interesting and educational, and yes. it's fascinating in that way. No, I But, like, I don't watch a Holocaust documentary because I think it's going to be fun. No, nope, you're right about right? that. And this, yes. is, this is kind of along the same lines. Uh, it's something that's truly, truly awful and terrible. And unfortunately, it's something that a lot of people had little to no or have little to no knowledge of. I had zero knowledge until you mentioned it. When you said, because this is, and this was the first question that I was going to ask you. So today we are talking about the massacre of Black Wall Street or the Tulsa race riot. And that is the question that I had for you, because when you asked me if I wanted to do this topic, you said the massacre of Black Wall Street. And when I Googled it, what came up on Wikipedia and History.com and a lot of these other websites, they were referring to it as the Tulsa Race Act. Mm -hmm. But there has been some um, discussion as to whether or not that was the appropriate way to describe the event. It is not the appropriate way to describe the event. Okay, that was why I wanted to ask you, because I I do agree, but I also was seeing Tulsa Race Riot It is the way that the event is described. It is the title that was given to the event. It was a riot, Um, but at the end of it, it was a massacre. I would say the portion of this event that was a riot, and we will talk about it, was probably 10% of the entire event. Yeah, that's, um, it was kind of like a, there not, was a, not the catalyst, but... Um, there was a moment that was a riot, yeah. and then it was a massacre. Yeah. And so while people say the Tulsa race riot, that's what you're going to find on Wikipedia, um, that is mostly spin, um, white people created that term. Yeah. Um, they decided to call well, it a race riot because it has different connotations in your brain when does. you call it a race riot well, rather than what it actually was. What it does is when you say a race riot, it 
it creates an image of your in your mind of it being almost an equal sided, yeah, thing mm-hmm. where it was not. No, it, it was it was the black community being spoiler alert completely uh, destroyed in the town of Greenwood, and right. um, yeah, riot. Riot doesn't really give it the uh, the appropriate image in your head of right. what the event Absolutely. was. Absolutely, and you know, just to be quite honest, it, that that w- it was created by white people yeah. to make themselves feel better in part about a, something really terrible. And that I happened. think that that is the best way to describe a lot of what happened here because. You know, to to start off our discussion, we haven't even gotten into the topic yet, but to start off this discussion, let's talk about what you and I were discussing before we started recording, and that was the discrepancies in the information, um, in the timelines, and some of the things like that because of the lack of uh, recording that was done at the time. Right, and we'll talk at the end, you know, when we get through the entire story about, like, some of what happened, um, you know, afterwards. Right. But because this was something that was so deeply, deeply buried, Mm -hmm. um, almost immediately after it happened, people stopped talking about it. Uh, White communities did not speak about it. Mm -hmm. And black communities who stayed in Tulsa or in that area... In Oklahoma, we're they, probably too scared to talk. They about talked it. about it in very like hushed tones. Yeah. So after a couple of generations, a couple of generations after this, it was almost as if it didn't exist. It wasn't taught in schools. Yeah. I had no knowledge of this until I grew up and looked into it myself. And I know for a lot of people, and this is super sad, um, a lot of people didn't know this was a thing until Watchmen. <laughs> so the TV show Watchmen is. Takes place in Tulsa. Okay. And is very heavily centered around the race massacre. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it kind of opens with that, and then it kind of, it harkens back to it pretty consistently. Okay. And they show pretty explicit, horrifying imagery of of the massacre itself. I, so, didn't, I had no idea. Isn't it a superhero thing? Yes, it is. It's Watchmen. Yes, there's like an alternate but, universe, alternate timeline. But it's but usually superheroes exist in like a regular society, like American society. Right, so and Watchmen, kind of- Watchmen does. It's just Watchmen, you know, even the old graphic novel and the old movie and all uh-huh. that stuff, like it exists within um, America. It's just like a different kind of America that right. has like, like it's an America. It has which, superheroes. Yeah, we've won. We had Dr. Manhattan, so we won the Vietnam War instead of losing it. And yeah. so it has like a different timeline. Interesting. Uh, but they do show the Tulsa race massacre. And because of that, a lot of people Googled it. And they were like, is this real or is this something that was created for the show? I mean, how sad is it to, I mean, again, and I'm, I'm part of the problem here because I didn't know about it. But, but it's not I mean, your fault. We but, weren't taught. Right. But then I like that things like the media and TV shows and movies open our eyes to things that we were not taught in school and we take it upon ourselves then to learn about it. I think that's one of the great things about television and movies is right. that it does, it does spark that interest to want to learn more. As sad as it is, it's not, it's really not like your fault for not knowing. Right. Because I, I only know because I was so interested in my own history and in black history that I spent a lot of time reading and stuff when I became an adult. And you know what? My mom actually did a really good job of like sharing black history with me and, um, you know, history of the antebellum South and like all of those things. So I had a very comprehensive knowledge of that stuff and I still didn't know about this. Yeah. And I lived in Missouri 
Yeah. <laughs> which is not far from Oklahoma. It is not far uh, at all, no. At all, you know. So, yeah, and this, this event is known as one of the worst act, uh, acts of racial violence in American history. And, is, and domestic terrorism, really. Yeah, it is yeah. absolutely disgusting. So let's get into it, shall we? Okay. Let's talk about how racist as fuck Oklahoma was in 1921, yeah. shall we? Well, let's even go back a little bit further. Yeah. So, you know, History.com actually had a wonderful article mm-hmm. that was very good. Um, and that's actually where I first read. I, I'd been calling it the, you know, Black Wall Street Massacre and things like that. But... Uh, History.com actually refers to it as the Tulsa Race Massacre instead of the Tulsa Race Riots, as you'll usually see. Okay, so it's kind of a bit of both. Right. So you um, you can also find something really kind of cool and easy uh, if you're somebody who wants to absorb information in this way. Uh, Theatlantic.com, actually, mm-hmm. it is sponsored. I think it's sponsored by HBO, probably as like a companion I, to Watchmen. Because there's really cool graphic design it, uh, or graphic yes. uh, art Yes, down it's the like side. a graphic novel novel format yeah. um, of the events. It's, of- it's really cool. And I, right at the top, want to say that I listened to an amazing episode of uh, Stuff You Missed in History Class Yes, today. and I'm, I'm going to try and cite my sources as I move through, but I will say um, last month, I believe it was, the beginning of last month or the end of December, um, Stuff You Should Know put out a good episode on this. And those awesome. guys are freaking brilliant yeah. and they do a wonderful work and great research that so that whole company the stuff you missed in history class stuff mom never told yeah, you yeah it used to be stuff works now yeah. it's owned by our heart media but yeah yeah they they're great they come up with amazing stuff that's very easy easy listen easy to understand it helped me a lot with putting together this entire timeline and understanding the background and kind mm-hmm. of putting all my notes together so if you Same. are listening to this and you're still wanting more or you maybe want to um Hear, hear someone from else's a different take perspective. On it. Yeah. yeah, go ahead and listen to either of those because they're absolutely fantastic. Totally, totally. And you know, there's also I spent so much time. I've got notes and on notes because I spent so much time just googling things. Yeah, and there is there is a lot of information. I say that there's a lot of information and there's not. Yeah, and there's not a lot of information because this was something that was covered up for so long. But there are a lot of different articles that you can read to kind of get a comprehensive exactly. view of what happened. It's it's dense. Yeah. So let's get into it, shall yes. we? Yes. So the History.com article, they kind of went into the history of Greenwood and mm-hmm. how Greenwood kind of started. So Greenwood yeah. was a neighborhood in Tulsa. So yes. what we would now consider to be a suburb. Yeah. Uh, now in Tulsa, it's actually part of Tulsa. It's part of the city of Tulsa because uh-huh. Tulsa expanded. But at the time, it would have been considered more of a suburb. And yeah. Well, I want to say really quick. So sure. Oklahoma was became its own state in 1907. Yes. And they created a state legislature that passed racial segregation laws. Yes. And the very first law passed by the new legislature segregated all rail travel and voter registration rules, which disenfranchised the black community. Uh, Greenwood was absolutely was actually uh, divided from the rest of Tulsa by a rail system. Um, They were also barred from serving on juries and local office. And and the territory of northern Oklahoma is filled with a lot of, like, ex-slave owners, and many of the southern Oklahomans who went north came from families of slaveholders before the Civil War. So there is a very deep-rooted racist culture in Oklahoma Um, at this time. I mean, and kind of even... Before that, so the reason why there were so many black people in Oklahoma in the first place is that there was something called um, 
Uh, oh, I know what you're trying to say. It's when they move from the south to the north to try to, like... No. Oh, okay. No, no. So, the, the neighborhood of Greenwood was actually developed on Native American territory, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And it was an area where Native tribes had been forced to relocate to eastern Oklahoma. So, Oklahoma, before it was a state, it was a territory that was used for forced relocation of Native Americans. Okay. So, when the Native Americans went there... Um, unfortunately, a lot of the Native Americans had their own slaves, yeah. uh, and their own slaves that had been kind of um, brought into part of like Native American culture. So that okay. when the Dawes Act happened, which gave Native Americans their own land in Oklahoma, um, a lot of Black people were a part of that, and they yeah. were you know able to kind of like spread out in that area of Oklahoma. So there was a lot of Black people in Oklahoma already. Okay, and then in addition to that, there were a lot of sharecroppers who, because there was already a black population in Oklahoma, went to Oklahoma after the Civil War in search of a better life because yeah. they were like, there's a lot of black people here already. Well, there's a lot of black people here already. There's also a lot of oil. Uh, there was a and lot land. of there's a lot of land. There's a lot of opportunity for business. And um, I'm gonna have to look at my notes, but there was a man who. God. O.W. Gurley? Thank you. O.W. Gurley, who was kind of the, uh, would you call him the creator of this town? What would you you call him? I would. So O.W. Gurley was a wealthy black landowner, and he purchased 40 acres of land in Tulsa, and he named that 40 acres of land, which is about 35 blocks, he called it Greenwood, after a city in Mississippi. Yes. So he named it Greenwood and secured those um, 40 acres of land. Yeah, and Greenwood was really uh, aimed to be a place that was for the black community, by the black community. You know, they they very much um, wanted to have a place that, to me, seemed they wanted to feel safe, that they felt... Um, that they could support each other. You know, there were black dentists, there were black uh, doctors, there were black right. janitors. Like, everybody who worked and lived in Greenwood was kind of there. You know, I think I think a lot of O.W. Gurley's point of views was to kind of have this almost, like, utopian area of where the black community could thrive well, he, together. he had a great idea in that, like, the black community should be putting money back into itself. Yeah. And so he created the first black-owned business in 1906, which is actually before it became a state. Yeah. Um, and started a boarding house for African-American which drew more people, more African-American people there. So he started this community before Oklahoma became a state. Then yeah. Oklahoma became a state, and like you said, its very first piece of literature, uh, literature its very first piece of legislature was to um, segregate black people uh, and, you know, Native people as well, yeah. and to keep everyone in their own areas. Yes. So by saying that, it meant that black people were not allowed to marry outside their race. They weren't allowed to frequent white-owned businesses. And so the black people of Greenwood were kind of like, all right, sounds good to me. And so they created their own covenant in Greenwood that said that you had to be black to own or rent land in Greenwood. And since they couldn't shop at white-owned businesses, they would work in white-owned businesses, and then they would come back to Greenwood and spend their money in black-owned businesses. Exactly. So they would put their money back into the community 
community. And there was something I read that actually said that um, money could exchange hands seven times within the same community. That's what I, that's what I read right. as well. And yeah. on top of that, O.W. Gurley was so um, invested in creating this kind of like wonderful community for black people right. that he would give people personally, he would give people loans mm-hmm. to start their own businesses yeah. because he wanted people to have their own businesses. And so by the time 1921 rolled around, there were 10,000 residents in Greenwood, and it was one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the entire country. That's why it's called Black Wall Street. Right. Because, like, goddamn, did they do well. Yes, it had 15 African-American millionaires. Yeah. Living in, in 1921. Living in, like, a 35-block radius. Yeah, and that's 15, wild. 15. That's like, that's like Calabasas here. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. And even, it's even more exaggerated than that because it's 1921. A million yeah. dollars in 1921 is, like... Uh, that's $10 billion in today's, today's money. money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... So so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the racial tensions. Absolutely, a little, you know. So a lot of the soldiers when they came back from World War One, they were pissed that they had to compete for jobs with black people. Sound familiar? Mm. Um, while black soldiers pushed to have their civil rights enforced when they came back, and one thing that O. W. Gurley did as well was he made sure that the community was very well versed in um, their rights. And that was through the two newspapers that they had. I believe it was the Oklahoma Sun and um, another something Tribune. What Tulsa Greenwood Tribune? There's the Tulsa Tribune. Okay. Who wrote the famous article that we're going to be talking about? And then in a the Oklahoma bit. Sun. Uh, I'm not sure. I believe so, sure. so. But those are the Greenwood. I believe those are the Greenwood newspapers. But in the well, in, that that one's in Tulsa. So the Tulsa. I mean, all of it's Tulsa now. But that was the yeah. Tulsa Tribune. There was one that was a specific black-owned newspaper. Yes, and that yes. and that newspaper. And I think I have it later in my notes. So maybe I'll correct myself when I see it. But um, basically, those newspapers were there to make sure that the people of the Greenwood community understood what their rights were. And because when they came back from World War One, they had kind of like these soldiers had come back and realized their rights were being squandered mm-hmm. and they were speaking they were speaking up and also the white soldiers who came back were very upset with what had happened when they were gone uh so the summer of 1919 was known as red summer where industrial cities across the midwest and northeast experienced severe race riots where white people would attack the black communities in the area and the kkk made its first appearance in oklahoma in 1921 and by the end of that year tulsa had 3200 residents in the clan and that's something that i want to bring up because i think it's important to realize what the culture was in Oklahoma at the time, but when I was listening to the Stuff You Missed in History class, they were talking about how it is understood by a lot of people that it was the Klan who began the riot, Mm-mm. where that is not, that, no. that's not substantiated I, I, anywhere. I mean, okay, the Klan definitely got involved. Yes. And were present. And the and the the air in the world yes. at that time was very much, you know, racist yeah, because so of the Klan. You can hear, you know, just in our story thus far, how quickly and easily this is going to boil over. Mm -hmm. So you've got an incredibly racist place. And yes, you're talking this is two summers after the Red Summer, and it was called uh, the Red Summer because so many people were lynched. Um, so many black people were lynched. Lynchings, like, they were just everywhere across that area. I do have statistics on the lynching. Okay, so Oklahoma 
with its history of lynching, between the declaration of statehood and the riot 13 years later, there were at least 31 lynchings recorded in Oklahoma. 26 of them were black and nearly all men or boys. And it was almost certainly much more than that. It was almost certainly much more than that. And I'm seeing in my notes now that it does say that uh, A.J. Smitherman founded the Tulsa Star, a newspaper headquartered in Greenwood that would inform African Americans about their legal rights and court rulings or legislation that were beneficial or harmful to the community. Yes. So... Tensions were rising, and this is straight from the History.com article. It says, It wasn't long before the affluent African Americans attracted the attention of local white residents who resented the upscale lifestyle of people they deemed to be an inferior race. I think the word jealousy is certainly appropriate during this time. If you have particularly poor whites who are looking at this prosperous community who have large homes, fine furniture, crystals, china, linens, etc., the reaction is that they don't deserve it. So these people... And this shit still happens today. It, 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 it drives me crazy. It absolutely okay. does. And, like, so we're talking about one of the most... It's so weird because we think about Tulsa now, right? And it doesn't... It's not, like, one of these, like, places where we think it's, like, oh, it's so fancy. Yeah, like the New millionaires and the booming culture. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, we don't think of it as, like, a cultural hub. But yeah. 15 millionaires, a number of whom owned planes... Black millionaires... In 1921, black millionaires. So that's how affluent this country, uh, this uh, area was, this yeah. suburb was. They had indoor plumbing. They had really good schools. Yeah. And on the other side of the train tracks, because like you said, Greenwood was separated from Tulsa, uh, main Tulsa, by train tracks. Um, on the other side, a lot of the white people in Tulsa were actually very poor. Uh, so there was a huge discrepancy there. You had very, very rich, uh, affluent black people on one side and very poor white people on the other side. So there was a I lot mean, of fragile you, whiteness happening. Well, like, fucking Tulsa, you set the shit up for yourself. No, you they segregated and gave, did. gave the Greenwood community no other choice but to rely on each other and that's something that we I think we bring this up at least once every Black History Month is the amazing uh, community that the black community is because there is such a raising each other up type um, camaraderie yes and 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 you're right they set it up this way right like so not only are black people already used to banding together this way, that's yeah. what happens whenever you make them slaves and force them to create a culture and together. And completely separate them right. from you. And you you made them create a culture, right? Because yeah. I was just having this conversation with somebody who didn't understand the difference between white white pride and black pride, right? And a Who big, on earth were you talking to? Uh, it's Someone anyway, on the internet? Yes, it was. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> so the, the difference is that Black people, Africa's an enormous continent, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, even West Africa, where a lot of um, slaves in the United States came from, it's a huge, massive land with a lot of different cultures. So it's not as though you can say, I have Ugandan pride, Mm -hmm. right? You say you have black pride because you shoved us all together. Well, and you also ripped away... Any the ancestry of our culture. Well, because when it was the slaveholders with this with the slaves, they were told to somewhat assimilate to white culture, but then they also to remain close to their roots, banded together, and did Created start to create their own, their culture. own culture. Yeah, and so that's what happened there. So when you have a group of people who are bonded together by trauma, like already, yeah, and then you have them take a separate part of the city. Yeah. And then you say, you can work for us 
and make money, probably not good money, but you can work for us and make money, but you can't spend your money yeah. with us. What did they think was going to happen? Yeah, exactly. Like, you're going to put all your money back into I your mean, society. They, honestly, at that time, and probably even still today, they probably thought they were too dumb to do anything about it. Yeah. I don't know. They probably didn't foresee uh, that these people who had been so underrepresented and treated so horribly for years and years, especially in that area, I don't think that they could have possibly seen this coming where the black community became more prosperous in the white community. Yeah, no, I definitely don't think that they thought that that was a possibility. And so after the Red Summer of 1919, the Tulsa Star, uh, which is the newspaper you're talking about mm-hmm. in Greenwood, they started encouraging blacks to take up arms and to show up at courthouses and jails to make sure that other black people, usually men, who were on trial were not taken and killed by white lynch mobs. Yes. So they began doing this. It was kind of like a like a vigilante, public vigilante kind of... It reminds me very much of like what the Black Panthers would later go on to do, which yeah. is just like kind Protect. of a self-policing. Yeah. Where it be- and it's because it was happening so frequently... And it's because, as we'll get into later, even in Tulsa, there had just been, right before these riots started, uh, the previous sheriff. Um, So Sheriff McCullough is the sheriff who uh, was in office or whatever during the race massacre. But his predecessor actually left like, left the position as sheriff Uh because he had allowed a mob of white people to take someone out of his custody who he had already arrested and was in jail. It's not like he just turned the other cheek. He actually allowed them to take him out of jail and lynch him. So this was something that happened quite frequently, and it will come into play. All of these things were giving you all this setup because it's going to come into play. It's like a frog in slow-boiling water. It's all slowly happening. Can Can I ask you a sidebar really quick? Yes. Okay, So in a lot of my readings, and you just said it, I've always felt uncomfortable with saying blacks. Yes. Referring to them as blacks. I always say black people. Yes. What is your standpoint on... We can cut this all out. I don't care. No, no, you can leave it. I don't care. But what is your standpoint on a white person, you know, because when I grew up, it was African-American. Yeah. And then it became more acceptable to just say black people because not everybody who's black in this country is an African-American. Sure. And then there's a lot of articles that I read and what you just said is referring to them as just blacks, where to me almost seems like I can say whites because I like they're fucking privileged. Like I'm I don't care. But there's something weird to me about saying that where I feel like mm -hmm. it's not it's not a. I, I will say. say, like, a lot of the time I am uncomfortable when white people say it. Yeah, that's what I, and that's what I thought. And so in, but in my notes, I didn't just say yes, blacks. Oftentimes when I hear a lot of white people say blacks or the blacks, um, it's, it feels like, it's uh, so icky it, to it, me. it feels like thinly veiled Racism. Um, racism, kind of. Yeah. And I know it's not always intended that way. But yes, I actually, I was thinking that when I read it, I had typed that straight from an article, uh-huh. which is why it says it like that. And I have no problem when other black people say it. But it is it is something that I feel like when I, other white people say it, I have to, it perks my ear up and it makes yeah. me think like, okay, what are you I, need about to, to say? I need to listen more closely to, yeah. to what you're saying in your tone. And normally it's fine. Uh, but I will say, yeah, there is something about that. It feels weird to me, which is why I wanted to ask you, because if I have a weird feeling about it, I knew that you would have something to say about it. So I felt like I would want to ask that. I mean, I know if you were saying it in the context of this story, that that's what you're saying it for. You know, like, I get that. It's not like... 
I wouldn't be like, oh my god. You know, like, <laughs> well, and it's hard too because when we talk about Black History Month stuff, there's a, a lot of uh, use of the word Negro. Yes, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I have hard. to say, in in terms of like history, I don't have a problem when people yeah. say the word Negro because you know if historical context is everything. Yeah. Um, if I know. if it were to be said about somebody today, I think that would be a little bit more absolutely. Weird. Yeah. Don't look. <laughs> don't use it. Don't bring it back. <laughs> don't, don't. We don't need to bring back Negro, and we don't need to bring back colored. No, nope. can just we really they can leave s- those things retired. They can stay in the. There's past. a reason we got rid of them. Well, thank you. And you know, we talk about a lot. And sorry that we're kind of veering off for just a second here, but we talk a lot about um, the onus of uh, explaining things to white people as being on the black person, so I wanted to make sure that no. if you wanted to cut this or if this was a conversation that we could have another time, I wanted no, to give you the I, opportunity to say no. That's what this podcast is for in large part, and so that's fine. I'm okay. totally okay with I that. I didn't want to put the uh, the responsibility the burden on you uh, yeah so, okay no problem okay so all right let's hop in and let's get started in the story and how things started the incident so, so. well hold on before we talk about the incident okay. okay i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry no i'm so sorry i feel like we're all over the place um guys i just want to be really clear i started a job we're recording at night for the first time in a long time it's it feels strange but i do want to i know this feels like a lot of setup but because of what's about to happen. I'm mm-hmm. going to set one more thing up. Please do. So there's already tensions in Tulsa between black people and white people at this time. This is also only six years after Birth of a Nation, right? Which Birth of a Nation was basically a propaganda film. Yep. Uh, that, Did you have to watch that in school? No. Oh, I had to watch it in school. I couldn't, uh-uh. I couldn't watch but it. it, it I, that's fucked up. And I had to take a test on it, too. And I was like, I, I had it on in the background while I was hanging out with my friends. And I felt get disgusted. the historical importance, but also yeah. I think it's fucked up to make black people watch that. Yeah, Uh, I agree. So this was only six years after Birth of a Nation that this happened, and Birth of a Nation depicted, it was a propaganda film essentially that depicted heroic KKK members rescuing a white woman who was being raped by a black man, Uh, and it was actually shown in the White House. It was the first movie. It was. anyone who tells you that America's not racist, the first movie to be shown in the White House was Birth of a Nation. Yeah. And it really... the end of it is discussed because it's literally a parade of KKK members in full garb mm-hmm. parading down the street yeah. in celebration of, I believe, murdering. I think they lynched him. I'm, they lynched I think. The, the black man that was, I believe, like young black man too. That was, um, but he was portrayed. He was, it was a white man in blackface, I yes, believe, and yes. he was also portrayed as. Uh, extremely villainous and wild and yes. evil. Very, very like animalistic, stereotypical, mm-hmm. disgusting depiction, especially putting blackface on top of all of it. Yes. Whew. And so it really, the effect that it had on the country is that it really made a lot of people, it reinforced this belief that black men were inherently dangerous mm-hmm. sexual predators and that um, they oftentimes preyed on white women and that it was a very common occurrence. And so a lot of white men found that it was their duty to protect white women from black men. Yes. And it's also important to note that Tulsa was a city of 100,000 people. And like you said, many, many, many of these people who had moved to Tulsa after it became a state had been transplants from the Old South with ties to slavery. And there was a strong KKK resurgence in the area at this time. It was was something like how many uh, people were in... 
Tulsa? A hundred thousand. A hundred thousand people. It was thirty two hundred clan members by the time the riot started, and they had come that year. It was yeah. within a year. So so a very racist place with yeah. these very strongly held beliefs and also a lot of envy on top of that for yes. the things that these people have. So, like like you said, the quote from the article, a lot of jealousy. Mm-hmm. So a it, lot, a lot of jealousy. Things were bubbling up already. Yeah, so let's, is it time to get into the incident yes. that started it all? All right, so it is alleged that sometime after 4 p.m., 19-year-old Dick Rowland, who was a black shoe shiner, entered the only elevator at the Drexel Building on Main Street to use the restroom on the top floor, which on was May reserved 30th, for black people. May, 1921. May 30th, 1921. Yeah. Thank you. So he was a... Dick Rowland was a black shoe shiner on Main Street, and the only restroom that was available for him to use, because he was on the other side, he was not in Greenwood, he was in the rest of Tulsa, mm-hmm. there was one restroom for him to use, and it was in this Drexel building, and the elevator operator at the time was a girl named Sarah Page, who was a 17-year-old elevator operator, and, and she was a said, white woman. She was a white woman. Or she girl, was a young rather. girl. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, there's there have been things that have been said that these people probably have seen each other before if this is the only elevator that he could use. In fact, I'm I'm almost certain that they'd seen each other fairly often because yeah. she was the elevator operator yeah. and he worked on the bottom floor as a shoe shiner and took the elevator up every time he needed to use the restroom. Exactly. So they knew each other to yeah. a certain extent. There was even there was so many rumors around this particular you know, catalyst incident that started this whole ride of, were they lovers? I don't you really know, buy into any of that. I, I, that I don't sounds... know that they were lovers, but I think they were friendly. I mean, you're yeah. talking like two teenagers. Um, and also, Dick Rowland was also called Diamond Dick Rowland. Diamond Ooh. was his nickname. Sounds fancy. He sounds charming as fuck. And that's kind of what I hear, is that he was like very charming, very likable. Um, I would have had a thing for Dick Rowland. A then. lot of people really <laughs> liked him, yeah. right? Um, and Sarah Page was, and this plays into kind of this like white victimhood that happened later on in a lot of the news stories because she was living with her grandparents at the time, working her way through business school oh. is how she was phrased. And um, a lot of news reports also called her an orphan. She's an orphan who's working her way through business school. As an elevator operator at 17. I know. And She's just trying to make do. And this goddamn Dick Rowland. Who's a shoe shiner. Yes. Because he probably can't get a different job in that side of Tulsa mm-hmm. because people are motherfuckers. Um, so they he gets into the elevator to go use the restroom. And then a clerk in the building heard what sounded like a woman screaming and then saw a young black man run from the elevator and out of the building. So, so uh, of course, yes. <laughs> in their minds, white woman screaming, black man running, he must have somehow assaulted her. And the reports kind of differ about what actually happened. So yeah. there are a lot of people who say that the elevator in the Drexel building, when it got to the third floor, the lip wasn't even with the the floor, right? So it could so, have been like an, oh! So that he, a lot of people say that he stumbled getting into the elevator, yeah. and when he stumbled getting in, he may have reached out and grabbed onto right. her arm, and, and then other people say that it was, um, he stepped on her foot. Like, yes. when he stepped onto the elevator, he stepped on her foot. Either way, um, she cried out when yes. they were coming back down. They were in an elevator alone together, a black yeah. man, a white woman. And um, some reports say that after he grabbed her arm, it scared her, and she was hitting him when the door opened. Okay. And um, 
because of this, a lot of people who were in the building at the time assumed that she was assaulted. Right. Well, and the clerk that heard the scream went to the elevator to see what was going on, and he says that he saw Sarah Page in a distressed state, thinking that she had been assaulted. He contacted the police. Right, and we don't really know what happened, and we don't really know what she said to them. Well, because there was an officer that came to the scene, and there are some reports of... There's reports of that happening. There's reports of a policeman being there, speaking with her, but there is no police report about what was said. There's no police report about the sequence of events, and that's why there's so many question marks surrounding what really happened, even today. A lot of historians do agree, though, that she was not assaulted. Yeah. It was not an assault, um, and that it was something else entirely, and in fact, we have no real record about what... um, actually occurred, what she actually said occurred, but what we do know is that she did change her story later on, Uh and she changed her story so much that there were people at the Tulsa Tribune who you'll, you'll see actively helped to incite this um, situation and fan these flames who went to the editor at the Tulsa Tribune and said, "Um, look, Sarah Page has changed her story. We have a lot of people saying that Dick Rowland is actually a really upstanding guy. We should change what we're writing. Exactly. Um, And they didn't. And it caused a lot more issues. But of course... And it's interesting because there was no initial manhunt. Like when she made no. when she made the report, there was no manhunt for Roland. Uh, Page told told the police that she would not press charges. Right. Um, but there was. But this this boy was still this nineteen year old boy was still very very scared. Of as I would he be was. too. No wonder he was fucking he, running out of the elevator. Yes, he ran because he knew exactly what it would look like. Yes, he knew exactly what people were going to say. Yeah. And so he ran all the way back to Greenwood. Mm-hmm. He told his mom what happened. His Yep. Mom was also terrified, and so the whole night they were kind of like What's up and happen? worried about yeah. what was going to happen. But when no one came for him that night, it kind of felt like, okay, maybe this is over. And so right. he went out to go hang out with some of his friends the next day, mm-hmm. and it was at that point that police arrested him for assault. Yeah, it was the morning after the incident, and it was Detective Henry Carmichael and Henry C. Pack uh, who... Uh, located Roland and detained him and brought him to jail. So after they arrest him, the Tulsa Tribune ran an article, and this is the headline of the article. Oh, it's so gross. Nab Negro for attacking girl in elevator. Thank you for being the one to read that and not me. <laughs> Look, I'll read all the problematic. <laughs> Please shit. do because I'm like I don't. Want, I didn't even. I didn't even add that to my notes because I'm like I'm not giving myself any reason to read that. But, I mean, out loud. you can literally find it. Like, you can. There's, there's photos of it of of this situation on the Wikipedia page that I used mm-hmm. a little bit of today. But there was a picture of the article and it's disgusting. But think about that headline. It's not like. Are we going to do this? It's an instruction. It Nab is. Negro for attacking girl in elevator. It is an instruction of what to do next. Yes, yeah. it is. And so the article describes an attack on Sarah Page that includes torn clothing and basically just fully lies about yeah. like what happened. And, and was that was that part of Sarah Page's changed story, or do you think that was the newspaper taking liberties? I think the newspaper was taking liberties. Okay. I, but again, it's so strange because this was buried so quickly mm-hmm. after this massacre occurred that we don't really know what happened to Sarah Page or Dick Rowland. They no. disappeared. Yeah. 
they fully disappeared. Which I mean, is odd. I hope they fucking change their names. And like, but, I don't know. But it's at weird. Least Sarah Page, because like historians need to talk to these people. Yes, and they never got the opportunity because yeah. this was buried in history. Yeah, so thoroughly. Yeah. Um. So. They were essentially asking, you know, there's also some reports, there was an eyewitness who said, oh yeah, there was an editorial on the back of that uh, that called for his lynching. And yeah. that has never been able to be found. Right. I, I did a lot of reading about that, and a lot of people have tried to find it. And it's unclear as to whether or not it ever actually existed, or uh, there were some of the saved copies from this date in Tulsa had pages ripped out of the Tribune. Well, and even if there was not an explicit declaration of that on the back, I think that the the article headline alone is very much calling for that. And, and they, the general vibe of Tulsa. I was going to say, that was a common thing that you would you would have a black man detained and the white people of the community took it upon themselves to then take it to the court, ask for that person to be handed over so that they could take care of this person themselves. And that's right. exactly what happened. An angry white mob showed up at the courthouse demanding that the sheriff hand Roland over to them and the sheriff refused. Thank God. And then when that was heard 25 armed black men then went to the courthouse to help guard Roland. I saw what 75. you were just saying you saw 75 I said yeah. I well this is I said okay I read there was 25 armed black men who came first and then as the word started spreading about the lynching the possible lynching of Roland 75 okay. more armed black men See I saw came 75 to the total okay. and that the black men were WW1 vets. Yes. So the WW1 vets who again you know there had been all this mistreatment mm-hmm. uh, of them these people went they fought for their war their war they fought for their country mm-hmm. they died in this war and then they came back and they were petitioning to be able to march in the memorial Day parade. The year before this, they had petitioned to walk. Yeah. Uh, and they were denied. But yeah. they had taken it upon themselves on instruction of the Tulsa Star, the Greenwood um, newspaper, to take up arms and go to the courthouse because they knew Dick Rowland. He was a good kid. They well, wanted to protect him. And this was something that you were talking about earlier that was already being done. When right. they felt that there was some sort of threat of lynching, mm-hmm. they would take it upon themselves to be kind of like extra guards for that right. person to ma- ensure their safety. So Sheriff McCullough, at this point, so by the time all of the um, World War One vets, the black World War One vets show up, there are a thousand white people I in read, a mob. I read fifteen hundred. Both yeah. fucking suck. Either way, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot, guys, a lot. Even yeah. if it was five hundred, you're talking, you know, seventy-five to eighty or to ninety-five versus a thousand to fifteen hundred right. white people. So yeah. um, there's this massive mob, and you know, Sheriff McCullough is like, "I'm not going to turn them over. Turn him over to you. We're going to let him have his day in court." Yeah, and um. He actually kind of says the same thing to the World War One vets who show up. He's yeah, like, yeah, he kind of sends both both parties home. Yeah, he's like, look, I, I guarantee you, I promise you. The sheriff is like, I promise you, I'm not going to turn him over to this white mob. So please go home. Yes, like everybody disperse. Well, and when they dispersed the white mob, they then took that to mean let's all go home and get all of our guns and ammunition. Let's try. Let's get into the National Guard Armory. Well. And try to steal. Yeah, but well, even before that happened. So what really set it off is like it kind of looked like everyone was going to go home, yeah. right? It looked like the white 
people were going home and the World War I vets were going home. And as the World War I vets were leaving, there was an older white man who was in the mob who approached one of the World War I vets and said, give me your gun. Yep. And the vet was like, no, no. I'm not going to give you my gun. And so at that point, there was a scuffle where the white man reached for the gun and the gun went off. And then this is what, this is the only part of the story that you can call a race riot. Because at this point, guns start shooting. Yeah. On both sides. It is like a battlefield in front of the courthouse. Right. In Tulsa, Guns are Oklahoma. going off both sides because it's unclear as to how it happened. But in the scuffle between the men to try the, the fight over the gun, the gun went off. Yeah. And once that bullet shot went out, everybody started shooting. Yeah. And so everyone's shooting. And now is the time when the World War One vets are like, shit, we need to get out of here and we need to get back to Greenwood. Yeah. So they all get in their trucks and they start heading back to Greenwood. Yep. All the while continuing to be shot at by yeah. the white mob. So they're shooting back and they know what's going to happen at this point. So as soon as they're back in Greenwood, they're hiding, they're, they're finding like sniper positions on top yeah. of buildings and behind cars waiting for the white people to come across the train tracks, right? They're yeah. like, they're going to come. Well, and the thing that is crazy about this whole initial riot part of this story is that it really only lasted a few seconds, but it ended in 10 white people dying and two black people dying. So there was already casualties, and it enraged the white community that it had gotten to that, whatever, their fault probably, but they then all ran home to get their guns. I mean, it was absolutely their fault. Like, yes. this, this situation shouldn't have been a situation in the first it place. Sh- well, they should never um, have gone down and tried to get him in the first place to and be released from the courthouse. they were leaving peacefully. Like, the, yeah. the black people were leaving this situation. Yeah. Like, they were stepping out of this situation. That's true. Um, it was white people who escalated the situation, and then what happened was the white members of this mob... Okay, so first of all, throughout all of this, Sheriff McCullough sounds fine, right? Sounds level-headed. Sounds like an okay guy. Yep. Not the case. Nope. So as (laughs) soon as this happened, he immediately starts deputizing the white members of this mob, giving them weapons, and basically being like, go get him, it's fine. Yeah, I can't can't give you Roland, but here, Yeah, I'll give you permission to go go get him. Go get him, boys. So not only do they have now deputized mob members, but they also have um, white people, uh, members of this mob who start ransacking hardware stores, um, you know, raiding places to get guns, and they go after them. So they actually planned, like, essentially a military strategy to enter into Greenwood. Mm -hmm. They had monitored, they'd gone in and monitored and seen where a lot of these black people, um, the black World War I vets, had been, like, hiding out behind cars ready for them when they approached. Yeah. And they... Did that for five hours. Yeah, well, they got fucking airplanes. Mm -hmm. Like, they prepared this shit. Right, but before that, so as they're headed into Greenwood, they know where these people are. Yeah. They hide out for, like, four hours. Someone blows a whistle, and then they light all of their hideouts on fire. So they fish out all of the people who were waiting to snipe them out. And then they go bonkers. Yeah. They fucking burn every building, home, business, church, school, hospital, to the fucking ground. Yes. All 35 blocks of Greenwood 
were charred ruins. It was completely 100% destroyed. And this all started around 1 a.m. is what I read. Right, yes. Which sounds horrifying. Horrifying. I I tried to put myself in that position of being in my home at 1 a.m., And not only having myself be personally attacked and my home being burned, but also my entire community. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to go. Your entire sense of safety and home is being burned to the ground. Well, and nothing guarantees that you're safe. So I I actually really liked that the Stuff You Should Know episode called this a race... a revenge massacre is what oh, they called it. Yeah. It was a revenge massacre. So they go in and they're setting everything on fire and it's this coordinated assault, right? Where they've yeah. got all of these, it's an army of yeah, like white is. people who have now come in and they started driving people out of their homes at gunpoint. Yeah. So men, women, and children. And if you showed any resistance, you were shot on sight. Yep. And even if you didn't, there was actually um, a story of a black couple who were praying inside their home mm. um, and weren't putting up any resistance and yeah. they were executed. So it's disgusting. It, it really, and it didn't matter. They were shooting kids. They were shooting. Well, and fuck, mom mentality in general is horrifying. Like the things that humans are capable of when you are in a mob is really scary. Right. I mean, and the, just, and then putting so much racism and hate mm-hmm. and history into that for a lot of, you know, there were probably white people that were going in and it did not matter if you were being complicit, if you were listening mm-hmm. to them, they didn't care about that. They wanted you gone. Absolutely. You were the problem. You were to be executed. It's almost very final solution. And we need to get rid of it. It's very scary because it is this kind of consistent theme where, yes, it's it's like this final solution. And you see the same kind of language used with um, a lot of people in our Mexican-American community. Like, a lot of people speak this way about, like, wanting to essentially eradicate entire, like, neighborhoods. Or considering that these these people are the problem. These people are who are keeping me from getting ahead. It's their fault that I'm not successful yeah. I hate that they have more than me you know and it's um, so gross like it, it's, it's it so sad at reading this and knowing that something very similar could so easily happen here yes. so easily yes. happen now yes. it's so crazy and you know it wasn't just that people not as if that's not bad enough but um, they weren't just being shot uh, they were also being doused with kerosene and burned alive Yeah, there was uh, a story of one man who was a blind homeless man who lived in Greenwood who was kind of taken care of by that community who was um, tied to the back of a car and dragged through the street. There was, it was just the most horrific violence. And I'm sorry to be so graphic, but I, I want no, people you to have understand to be. You that, have like, to be. When, when you're thinking of this kind of terror, right? 35 blocks is so much bigger than you think it is. Yeah. 10,000 people lived in this neighborhood. Every single business, there were 600 businesses. All of them were burned to the ground, every home. And the people in Greenwood were so wealthy that six of them owned planes. Mm -hmm. That's how wealthy they were. And it was those planes that were stolen by Mm -hmm. the white members of this terrorist group. Um, And they took those planes and they started dropping bombs. bombs. And they started dropping fireballs from the sky. You're talking about KKK members are dropping bombs on city blocks yeah in this neighborhood yeah 
Um, so it's it's truly awful. And not only that, but they stopped firefighters from going in. They did. They they fully actually stopped they firefighters. Held, they would put their guns up and be like, no, you're not coming you're any further not to help this situation. To enter. And yeah. because of that, you know, one fire started and then another and another and another. And they grew so quickly. And there there was no chance at putting it out. There was no, no chance at, at starting it before it got too bad because that's not what they wanted. They had They were intent on burning it to the ground. They were intent on burning yeah. it to the ground and they had the power in this situation 110%. And to kind of also drive home like what we lost, there was a very prominent black doctor mm-hmm. who was actually um endorsed by Mayo, <laughs> Mr. Mayo of the yeah. Mayo Clinic or the Mayo Brothers. I think there was actually a couple of them. All hail the Mayo Clinic. He was he was <laughs> Um, endorsed by them. Yeah. He, his name was Dr. A.C. Jackson. He was one of the most prominent surgeons, um, certainly black surgeons, but I think in America, yeah. one of the most prominent surgeons. And he was gunned down by a white teenager in his front lawn after surrendering. He was surrendering to them and he was gunned down. So 1,200 homes and 600 businesses, including a hospital, a library, and churches were destroyed. They were. And, you know, and this, and it wasn't just, it was mostly contained to Greenwood, but they did go to homes of white families who knew that they had uh, black employees in their homes, whether it be cooks, servants, Right, because there actually were, and look, I don't want to focus too much on this because I kind of hate it whenever there's this what about ism of like, not all white people, you know, like hashtag not all white people, but there were white people who did harbor like there were members of this community greenwood community who went to their white neighbors for safety well and also like you said they they it was harder to have jobs in greenwood they would go to the Mm -hmm. other side of the tracks to be able to make a living for themselves and a lot of that was you know cooks nannies servants things like that and the white riders would come into their homes and tell them to you know basically turn over their employees and most of them did. Most of them turned over the employees and were like, ah, okay. And, uh, you know, very few stood their ground and did not let them, you know, take their employees. Um, but those who did refuse, their homes were completely vandalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, boohoo for them, whatever. No, but, but it's but a good still. point to make. It is important to know, uh, you know, just like we were talking with our Holocaust episode, it is important to know that when people like to say, because I saw it, I think even on something that we posted where people were like, well, what were you... You can't say all Germans were bad because mm-hmm. what were they supposed to do? They they were scared for their lives. And, like, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, there's always another choice. And I think that this is a good example of that. Like, yeah. yes, it would be hard. It would be scary. I think most normal people in a normal circumstance, your your instinct is to save yourself. Um, but there Your are, fight or flight instincts kick in. Right, but there are always people who are willing to sacrifice in order, in the name of justice, you know? And something that I think is really important to point out is that the National Guard was fucking called. Yeah. The National Guard was called, and they were brought in, and instead of helping to quell this situation or stop this massacre, they instead began arresting black men. Yep. And they were said even, and that's a fact, they yeah. went in and they started arresting black citizens. But what is not necessarily a fact, but which I totally believe happened, and a lot of eyewitnesses say happened, is that they also assisted in killing black citizens in Greenwood, even using their planes um, yeah. to shoot residents. They said they had their planes to spot fires, but a lot of the Greenwood res- residents said no, they were shooting at at 
residents, and at the end of the day, 6,000 black people were arrested. Yeah. I We are running long, but I, yes. do, I do want to read um, a little bit of an eyewitness account that was found in 2015 um, from an unknown witness previously, but it's now known to be Buck Colbert Franklin, who was the one who um, basically re- rewrote this account that was found. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to read one part of it because it is long, but it is uh, it's a very good description of what was happening. So the first part, the first quote in this says, Lurid flames roared and belched and licked their forked ton- tongues into the air. Smoke ascended the sky in thick black volumes and emitted all the plains. Now a dozen or more in numbers still hummed and darted here and there with agility of natural birds of the air. Um, And then I'm going to read the very last one down here that says, I paused and waited for an opportune time to escape. Where, oh, where is our splendid fire department with its half dozen stations? I asked myself, is the city in conspiracy with the mob? And he, (laughs) this person who wrote his account even writes that every time he saw a white man shot, he, quote, felt happy and he swelled with pride and hope for the race, which is, it's not funny. And I shouldn't be laughing, but like, I understand where he's coming from because he's like everybody's fucking dying if they one were at person war. no yeah, you if can't. one person gets a white person he's like that's one you, less person you, you can fucking kill legitimately me legitimately can't fault him for that feeling Not at because all. it's just like they were at war yes. and they were at war that they they were civilians at war they didn't yeah. ask for this and like their wives and their children and their friends yeah. and their parents and their siblings like everyone was being mowed down they were yeah. being murdered they were um So, of the 10,000 residents of Greenwood, 9,000 were left homeless after the events of one night, and there were 52... Of, like, a few hours, Of a few hours, and there were 50 to $100 million worth of property damages. Yeah. I mean, they at the time, it was said to be $1.5 million in damages, but it is now believed to be much, much higher, as are the... Um, statistics as to how many died. At first, it was saying, you know, 50 white people between to between 150 to 200 black people. Well, the Some official, are saying 300. The official count doesn't even say that. The yeah. official count says 35. That's the official yeah. count. And it's not true. Most historians have landed on about 300. About yeah. 300 black people were killed. killed. Uh, and about 800 this, injured. During this massacre. Yes, and it was... Um, I mean, and it was decided in the court of law that it was the responsibility of the black community that started this riot, which I think is absolutely disgusting. Yeah, no, um, yes. I mean, and it gets worse. I mean, everything about this gets worse. We're going to try and move through this really quickly. But these people were once affluent. We've pointed that out many, many times. They were now homeless. Yeah. And not only were they homeless, they were now put into detention centers. Yeah. So there was a mass, mass arrest. The National Guard gathered everybody who was left, and they detained them for months. So this happened on June 1st. Many of them had to withstand the winter in these detention centers, in, you know, on the, on the Fairfields. And um, the only way they could get out was if white employers came to claim them or yeah, vouch take, for them. and take responsibility for their actions and things like that. Like, it's so... Yeah. It's so disgusting. Yeah, and no white people were prosecuted. No. There were 21 black people who were convicted 
arrested um, or indicted by a grand grand jury, but no white people were prosecuted. Insurance companies were quick to classify the events that took place at Greenwood as a riot Mm -hmm. so that they could avoid compensating residents for their homes and businesses that were destroyed. And that's why calling it the Tulsa riot is so problematic. Yes, and that's why they chose to do that. Exactly, and it's, it's absolutely... I've said disgusting 50 times this episode because that's that's what it is. It is. So the county commission refused to accept any outside donations. Mm -hmm. They claimed that they would help the residents of Greenwood on their own. And, of course, they didn't. There were no funds paid to the Greenwood residents for the damages to help them rebuild. And they didn't receive and have never received any reparations for anything that has happened. The county commission uh, established a new building code for Greenwood that required that all homes and businesses be built with fireproof bricks uh, to avoid this happening again. That's fucked up. So not only is that fucked up, but then they went to all the fireproof brick producers and instructed them not to sell to black people. What? So they couldn't even... So they're backed against a wall here. They're backed against so the they, wall. So basically what I'm hearing then is that they wanted they to... They wanted them gone. They did not want Greenwood to be rebuilt. Right. So in an effort to cover up the massacre, funerals were forbidden. Yep. So after 300 deaths, funerals were forbidden. Yep. And so we'll never really know how many people were killed and many were taken, they were dumped in the river, they were dumped in coal mines, they were buried in mass graves. And as we were talking about, in December of 2009, uh, through 2019, they uncovered two sites that appeared to be mass graves when they started looking in 2001. So 17 years, they finally found two spots. Yep. And you were just saying that... Yeah, there was an article actually written yesterday on February 4th, 2020, that Tulsa officials plan to dig for mass graves that may have been used to dispose of African-American victims. Um, and it is, it's widely understood that, that that's what happened is that they, a lot of bodies were thrown into unmarked graves and it was kind of an archeological test that was done. Some, mm-hmm. you know, test ground the ground. Radar yeah, exactly. That was, that was showing signs of evidence of a, um, of unmarked graves. There's going to be more tests before they actually try to excavate anything because obviously this is a very delicate situation that needs to be handled as absolute mm-hmm. best. You can't just jump into it. Right. Which I think is is great. Um, I think it's great that But it's the- also fucking upsetting that we don't have... Like, they're going off of so much uncertainty because there isn't any recording. There isn't any legal no. yeah, there's not. documents um, saying be- exactly how many people they're because looking for the cover or what up, they're looking for. The cover-up began right away. I mean, the Tulsa Tribune, the good old Tulsa Tribune, who kind of started all of this yeah. shit, um, right after it happened, uh, a few days after it happened, on June 4th, there was no coverage of the massacre itself. Yeah. There was really, the, really the only thing that they said was, thank you, law enforcement, for cleaning up for clean, cleaning up this neighborhood. Go like, that's yourself. basically what they said. Well, and there, I actually found a whole article talking about how the editor of the Tulsa Tribune never actually apologized for inciting this this incident. Um, I'm not going to read it all because, one, it's very graphic, the things that he said and actually printed in the Tribune after this happened. Um, but, two, you can go look it up. I'll put it in, I'll send it to Madigan to put in the footnotes for this episode. Yeah. So you can look it up. But if you wanted to look it up, the editor was Richard Lloyd Jones. And so you can search that and Tulsa Tribune. Fuck and you, it, Richard Lloyd Jones. will come up. Or you can look yeah. in our notes. And in between the time of the massacre and today, there were so many people who tried to get 
um, you know, appeals and get funding to rebuild. In 2003, five elderly survivors who were represented by none other than Johnny fucking Cochran. Oh, wow. The defense, one of the defense attorneys of O.J. Simpson uh, filed a suit against the city of Tulsa and the state of Oklahoma based on the findings from a 2001 report. But the case was dismissed due to the statute of limitations. <laughs> they then went to try There's to no say There's no statute that, of limitations on murder. Exactly. And then they went and they said, but there should be no statute of limitations from this. They even took it to the, the Supreme Court. And it still they still denied to even hear... The appeal, and it happened again in 2007 when a bill was appealed to extend the statute of limitations for the cause, uh, for the case, giving the lack of accountability for the destruction, and this was also denied. Um, so really, even today, this event yes. is seen as yes. something that isn't important. Well, it's ugly, is it what is. it is. And I think that there, we Take have a very complicated man. history. We have a complicated history yeah. in this country where I think a lot of Americans really, really don't want to look at this. Like, they yeah. don't want to look at the ugly stuff. And it's why so many people will be so quick to watch things about the Holocaust and say, yeah. oh, my God, isn't that awful? And it is awful. Yeah. But they don't want to look at the effects of slavery in this country, and they don't want to look at America's own ugly history, and they don't want to look at the ways in which they they or they fa their family members or their history might have been complicit yeah. in something that is truly fucking disgusting. Yeah, they would rather keep it hidden so that it doesn't make them look bad. Yes. However, in 2010, the John Hope Franklin Park was developed in Greenwood as a memorial for the victims. It was named after the historian John Franklin, who was born in Tulsa and would become known as the historian of the South. And the park includes three statues representing hostility, humiliation, and hope. And, and I, those words, the the humiliation, the statue representing humiliation to me is something that is uh, jarring and very sad, but also I think is important to depict what happened well, during it is, that time. It is humiliating. You're it's talking about people who were affluent, and yeah. there is something to be said about like... And were being dragged in the backs of cars and firebombed out of their homes. It and everything is. they'd worked for and earned. And you have to understand that this was only like 60 years after the Civil War ended. Yeah. It was not that long after. Like, their grandparents were slaves. Yeah. And they had managed to build this community and achieve this incredible thing like, for themselves. the American dream to its definition. Right. And then it was all kind of taken away and stolen from them. Yeah. And I will say, to their credit, um, though many of the survivors left Tulsa, the people who stayed in Greenwood, they astoundingly were able to rebuild in about five years, and they again became How? a prosperous community. But, I mean, but how? Because like they, they needed the fireproof bricks, I don't know. right? Didn't get it. In five years, they were able to rebuild and, and uh, once again became a very prosperous community. That community didn't begin to dissolve until about like the 1950s or 60s. Do you know why that was? Um, I, I haven't I read up. a few things and also they were talking in Stuff You Should Know about how partially it was because of um, white businesses, that law about segregation changed, yeah. and white businesses moved in and kind of oh. took over gentrification of that area. Um, so that was a big part of it. But to their credit and to the spirit of the people who oh lived there, they did something incredible. They did. And, um, I mean, they did something incredible twice. Yes. Like, what? And I did read in Wikipedia, and I was talking about you to you about my beef with Wikipedia a little bit, just a little bit, because Wikipedia does have a very extensive page on uh, this incident. And it's confusing as fuck. It is confusing because there are so many people who've gone in and edited. I think, again, 
I think there are a lot of white people who are very sensitive about this yep. uh, and have tried to color it in a very positive way. And I'd read in Wikipedia. No pun intended. That, they're trying yes, to color it yes. white. Uh, that there were um, scholarships that were being given to the um, descendants of this massacre. And that's not entirely false. But the way that it was phrased in Wikipedia made it sound like, isn't that great? Like, we did something yeah. fucking great. And really what it was, was what I was able to find was that two seniors from each of Tulsa's 10 public high schools received $1,000 one-time scholarships. That's not a scholarship. Yes. That's not even a month's rent in LA. And it, it Come on now. it was part of the Tulsa Reconciliation <laughs> Education and Scholarship Program. So I'm like, okay, so technically it's not a lie, but the way that it's stated in it's like- Wikipedia... We sent these kids to college. Like, yes. You spent maybe, you paid for maybe, like, half a semester. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Probably our, our school was way more than just that. Just the books. Like, yeah. you paid for the books. Yeah. Um, and then I will also say, again, it's like one step forward, two steps back. With It's, be- it's because of the current mayor of um, Tulsa, G.T. Bynum. Uh, which, what a name. G.T. Bynum. Kind of so, reminds me of P.T. Barnum. It does. So G.T. Bynum, the current mayor of um, of Tulsa, I believe he's the current mayor. It's because of him that we were able to kind of, like, try and find these mass graves. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. But, on the other hand, he gave this quote when talking about it. And he said, Folks need to know the goal of this meeting is to clarify the truth of what happened. Uh-oh. One of the issues that they ran into when they did the state commission before, so back in the 90s, was when people started talking about reparations too early on. And that spooked a lot of politicians. That killed the process. We're not going to get into that. We're not going to We're get, get into, into reparations. That. So the millions of dollars... Think about this. Like, honestly, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren of these people, these millionaires from Greenwood, should have had a very different kind of life. Yes. Than they they had. They imagine what would have become of that community and how possibly that could have inspired mm-hmm. others. Right. Had it not been burned to the Absolutely. fucking ground. We could have seen a very different America. Um, this, God, honestly. That, can Watchmen make it so that <laughs> well, in, the riot didn't happen? And well, like, in Watchmen, the riot happens, but kind of like the big theme of it, or a big theme of it, is that um, they get reparations. The black community. Got it. Uh, in Tulsa, who who if you can if you can um, prove your link to someone who yeah. was in the there should just be like a fourth like break the fourth wall at some point and like wink and be like mm-hmm, this is something see? we should do. maybe mean, this should have happened because the effects last generations and, the, and I hear people say we don't need reparations because nobody's alive now who like was affected by that and like why do you deserve money because your ancestors went through something and it's because. Our lives would look much, much differently if this thing hadn't happened and if this thing wasn't put upon our family. You know what I mean? And so um, I do think that people who were affected by this tragedy deserve some kind of reparations that should have happened right after. Yeah. That's... that community should have taken care of their own, and they yeah. didn't. And they said they would, and they didn't. Um, and so it's, we, you can't lie to us now. No. We fucking know. And it's horrible. And um, so anyway, this was a oh long episode, God. but I hope you guys got something out of it and you learned something new. I got so much out of the research and even more from our discussions. I hope that you guys really did, too. Uh, Sorry if we talked over each other. (laughs) You know what, guys? And that's something that we get in our reviews a lot. 
And we try not to do it, but it's also part of our conversation style, which I know is not good podcasting, but it's we're two people in a closet having a conversation about something that we're passionate about. It's going to happen. We apologize to those uh, who are bothered by it. Uh, we try not to do it, like I said, but so we are. We try not to do it for your sake, but yeah. it's hard. Hope you still got something out of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially because this is something that when we feel we're angry, that's the whole point of this podcast. So when we are feeling passionate about something, it is easy for us to get carried away as I hope that it kind of does for you as well. I hope this makes you angry and makes you learn more about this. Like, please reach out to us if there's more information that you have, or if there's more information that you want, or if you just want to talk to us about what you've heard, um, please, please, please reach out to us. Like it really is such a great feeling when we have somebody respond to what we've said and start that dialogue and conversation because that's the only way any of this is ever going to change. Totally. So this doesn't happen again. So email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Again, thank you so much for getting us at 12K. We really appreciate it. Yes. Um, we also have a Twitter, which we are now currently trying to decide if we are going to continue... <laughs> talking about our Twitter but for, now. It's for now our Twitter is at Yamp Podcast Y-A-N-F Podcast uh, you can also get us on Facebook we have a group page where you can chat with fellow listeners we have a business page where you can like you can rate you can review you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts yes uh, we have reinstated re- reviews day Tuesday wow that was really hard for me to reinstated say reinstated reviews day Tuesday say that ten times fast <laughs> um so this is a great time for you to get yourself noticed, get that review in, be featured. We love it so much. We really appreciate when you do that. We also really appreciate when you listen to us on Radio Public. It is a free way for you to listen, and it helps us out just pennies at a time. And we really, really appreciate you guys listening on that platform. Thank you so much. That's all we have for you today. With all of that being said, we encourage you to, to rage on. Bye. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.